Well, Rockbrook, I'm Pastor Tom. I'm a pastor of discipleship here at Rockbrook. And uh, before we get started, I just want to remind you, and you probably already know this, that next weekend is Easter weekend. And uh, we have a great sermon lined up for you. Pastor Kelly's going to deliver the word of substitution. And uh, we're going to kick Easter off on Friday. We're going to offer six identical services. It's going to kick off on Friday at 7 p.m. And then we'll have our, our five regular services. And I just want to encourage you to invite somebody to come. People are real receptive to church during Easter and Christmas. And so just let's pack this place out and have a lot of fun next weekend. But before we get started, I just I got to confess to you and I got to tell you that this message was really hard for me. It was very hard for me. I, I wrestled with this personally. I talked this over with some very close friends, some mentors, and some accountability people in my own life. And, and every one of these single points that we talked about today, I had to ask myself, how are you doing on this one, Tom? And my response was confession. It was repentance. And then I have to look for ways to do better in every one of these areas. And I want to encourage you to do the same as we go through this. But we're, work, we're looking at the word of love. We have a whole day called Valentine's Day that's dedicated to love. And on average, we spend $13 billion on this day of love. You know, we buy cards and flowers and candy and go to restaurants and hotel rooms, all to convey that we love somebody. But this word love, it just gets thrown around so much. It's become a word to express something we are, we are personally excited about in the moment. We really don't think about it much past that. You know, I love to hunt. I love to camp. I love to eat. I love my family. I love this church. We've all, we've all probably said that at some point, I love, and then you just fill in the blank. The problem with these statements and our thought process about love is that, for the most part, love is all about me. It's all about how something is benefiting me or that something is not required of me, so I really love it because I don't have to do anything. You know, I love to hunt when it's not too hot or not too cold and as long as I get something. I love to eat as long as the food tastes good and I didn't have to make it. I love my friends until one of them offends me or they ask me to help them to move. (laughs) I love my spouse until I feel disrespected or taken advantage of. I love my kids and I would do anything for them as long as it doesn't get in the way of my career or my hobbies or my time. I love being in this relationship as long as I'm the one getting all the attention and I'm getting all the gifts. I love this person or that person until the next attractive, attentive, funnier, wealthier person comes along. You know, loving others is easy if it's just words. I can do that all day long. But the thing about Jesus is that He doesn't just talk about love He walks the walk. He just doesn't say words. The Bible says He is the living Word of God. He doesn't just give love. He is love. And the single most important lesson we have to learn in this life is to love like Jesus. Jesus' earthly ministry is spent teaching His followers all about how to love God and to love others. 
And as he closes out his earthly ministry, he has to go to the cross. And on the cross, he isn't talking about love anymore. On the cross, he is demonstrating with outstretched arms nailed to a cross, I am love. And I love you this much. He's not talking about it. He's demonstrating it. He's showing us how to love others. Let me set love up with a little background before Jesus was nailed to the cross, he was exhausted and, f- and fatigued from the blood loss that he had experienced in the past 24 hours. And it all started with an arrest. They took Jesus through six illegal trials all through the night. And they were illegal against the law because they were done at night. But because of religious and political peer pressure... There's false accusations that are made against Jesus and he's found guilty and he's sentenced to die by crucifixion. Jesus hadn't had any sleep. He's fatigued. He's very tired. And before his executions, the Roman soldiers, they torture him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They strip him naked. They beat him. The Bible says they pulled out his beard. They mocked him and they spit on him. The Bible says that they scourged him. And scourging is a form of torture. It is a whip-like device with multiple leather tails. And tied to the end of these tails are pieces of metal, bone, and sometimes hooks. And the idea here is that every time these tails hit the body, it leaves multiple wounds. And it rips out the flesh, exposing veins and muscles and organs. And the Bible says that Jesus got 39 lashes, which means that he had over 100 lacerations on his body. This is all done before he goes to the cross. He's fatigued, and now he's been physically beaten to a bloody pulp. And then they make him carry his cross up a hill. Jesus is so fatigued and physically wounded, he can no longer carry the cross. So the soldiers order a guy from the... from the crowd to come out and to bury or to bear his cross for him. And Jesus continues to walk up the hill and the crowd still mocks him. They're still spitting on him. And at the cross, all of Jesus' disciples have left but one, the disciple John. The others have scattered. They're afraid that they're next. And there are a few other women followers there with, with the disciple John. One of them, one of the women is Mary, Jesus' mother. This is what love looks like. A fatigued, bloody Jesus saying from the cross, Father, forgive them. He is asking God the Father to forgive the very people that he created that have now sentenced him to die by crucifixion, have beat him, mocked him, spit on him, scourged him. And then he says to the guy next to him on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. And that was last week's message. It was a very important and powerful message on the word of assurance. How to be absolutely sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. And I want to encourage you, if you miss that message, you need to listen to it. But that's Jesus. Loving God and loving other people from the cross. It's Christianity 101. We could stop there, but Jesus has more to show us about love as he hangs fatigued, beaten, and nailed to the cross by his hands and feet. And we're going to take a look 
at love on a more personal level. Let's look at a phrase Jesus says to his mother and to his best friend, John the disciple, who's standing next to his mother. They are both at the foot of the the cross as Jesus is dying. There's just so much going on here, and I hope you have your message notes ready. Jesus looks down from the cross, and he sees his grieving mother. He makes eye contact with her, and he sees his best friend, John, standing there next to her. Let me read um, from John chapter 19, starting with verse 25. It's up on the screen. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. That's Mary, his mother's sister, and Mary, the wife of Calopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there at the foot of the cross, and the disciple John, whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. So he looks down at Mary, and he says, Mary, this is your son. And he's pointing to John. And to the disciple John, here is your mother. And from that time on, John took Mary into his home. So he looks down at John, and he says, John, Take my mother. She's going to be your mother now. Mary, we know by this time, was a widow. Joseph, her husband, Jesus' stepfather, had died sometime earlier. And this may seem like an unimportant phrase from the cross. Woman, this is your son. And John, this is your new mother. You're to take care of each other. But this is very important because it shows us Jesus' deep personal love for those near and dear to him. So what do we learn from this phrase? We learn four things about what it means to love like Jesus. Number one, to love like Jesus, I must start caring for my own family. In all of this pain, and all that he has going on, I mean, he is dying for the sins of the world. And the first thing Jesus does is he takes care of his mother. He takes care of his family. Exodus twenty twelve says this, Honor your father and mother. This is one of the Ten Commandments. Jesus is obeying God's Word. Now, before some of you shut down on me right now out of the gates, because maybe you've had some really bad parents, I want you to notice this does not say, honor your father and mother for what they have done. This has nothing to do with their parenting skills. We are to honor our father and mother because that's what God commands us to do. It's not optional. Look, He used them to make you. And that may be the only thing that they've done right up until now. And God wants us to honor them. But here's the good news. This is a commandment that comes with a promise. Let's look at this. Honor your father and mother, then you will live a long, full life. And by the way, this is a command for all children, including adult children. Your parents are your parents as long as you shall all live. And in Jesus' culture, it was the responsibility of the oldest son to take care of, of their mother. And, and Jesus, or Mary, we know, has become widowed. Mary was a widow, and now her oldest son is dying. So Jesus is making sure that Mary is going to be taken care of when, she, when he leaves. And here's what the Bible says about widows. 1 Timothy 5, 3-4. Show respect for widows who really are all alone. So this verse is telling us that the church needs to respect widows and to take care of them. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, 
They should learn first to carry out their religious duties toward their family. Circle the phrase religious duties. You have a duty to take care of your family. It says, and in this way they repay their parents and grandparents because that is what pleases God. 1 Timothy 5.8 If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now that's a powerful statement. If you're a believer, you're worse than an unbeliever if you're not taking care of your family. And while we're at it, since we're talking about families, husbands, look at this verse on the screen, Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives. How are we supposed to do that, guys? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, we are to love our wives just as Jesus Christ gave his life up for the church. It doesn't say love your wife once a year on Valentine's Day. It doesn't say to love her with lip service. It says we are to love them with cross service, sacrifice service. The Bible makes it real clear that in a marriage, the husband's role is to be the leader of the family. So what does biblical leadership look like? The leader gets to sacrifice the most. God's leaders lead by sacrificing. You know, a lot of guys, they want to be treated as king of the home, king of the house. This is my castle. Everybody needs to do what I say. But if you're a godly man, then you need to model your life after King Jesus. Jesus was a king, and he gave up a lot. He sacrificed a lot for the sake of others. And guys, I feel, I, I, I'm sorry if it feels like that I'm, if I'm picking on you, but I used to be a real jerk to my wife. And some godly men came along and put me on the right path. And that is my desire for you. And the, and the way that I've began to love my wife more is by developing a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. That's how it starts. But husbands and wives, God gave us our spouse to learn to love like Jesus. And parents, let's look at this. Proverbs 22.6 Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. You know, what did Jesus tell us was the greatest commandment? He said the greatest commandment was to love God and to love others. So parents, at the very least, we need to teach our children to love God and to love others. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Fathers, we don't want to raise angry children. We want to raise children that love God and love others. Titus 2.4, these older women, it's talking about the older women in the church, must train the younger women. Train them to do what? To love their husbands and to love their children. You know, like a great parent, Mary didn't flake out when everybody else left. You know, what do you do with your kids? Do you show up? Do you encourage godliness? Do you teach them biblical principles? You know, where are you when your kids are fatigued and in pain and feeling all alone? Do you ignore them? Are you there when your kids are being crucified? 
Do you get in there and do you encourage and support them? Do you share scripture with them? Do you pray with them? Do you help them to take their next step closer to Jesus Christ? Unfortunately, a lot of people would rather divorce and abandon their family than to give up selfishness. But the purpose of the family is not simply to make you happy. It's to make you holy. It's to teach you to love like Jesus. To be unselfish. And Jesus, in the middle of all that he has going on, he takes care of his family. And here's the second thing. If we are to practice loving like Jesus, number two, I must treat other believers as my family. You know, maybe you didn't know this, but the Bible tells us that Jesus had four half-brothers and at the very least two half-sisters. Isn't it interesting that Jesus does not entrust the care of his mother to his brothers and sisters? You know, why is that? Why didn't he just say to his brothers and sisters, hey, you guys need to take care of mom now? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus' brothers and sisters did not become believers until after the resurrection. So Jesus tells Mary and John, his followers, to lean on each other. Believers are to be devoted to each other. I must treat other believers like family. And for some of you, this is going to be very hard. There are a lot of people that love their family. A lot. I mean, if you're not family, if you're not one of us, Forget about it. You're not in. But the Bible says that real love is learning to treat other believers like my actual family. If all you do is care about your biological, earthly family, that's not enough. Unbelievers can do that. Over and over in the Bible, God refers to his people as his children. And it uses the term brother and sister when referring to other believers. There are all kinds of reasons why the biological family, family won't last. People grow up, people move, people die, people get divorced. But God's family, the church, will last for eternity. Look at these verses, Matthew twelve fifty. It's up there on the screen. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2. Do not rebuke an older man, but appeal to him as your father. Treat the younger men as your brothers. Treat the older women as your mothers. And treat the younger women as your sisters with all purity. This is talking about the church. This is talking about our relationship with one another. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have many spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, and brothers and sisters. Now, ladies, um, I'm going to let you guys tell us, guys which one of you are an older woman, okay? I'm not about to make that call, okay? Maybe here at Rockbrook, all we have is um, 60, 70, 80, 90-year-old older sisters, okay? Maybe that's our draw here at Rockbrook. We don't have any older women, just older sisters. But in our church family, there is never a time when the kids grow up. There is, a never, there is never a time where we become empty nesters or we retire, that's not what God says. It is, it is your responsibility. If you call your Christian, yourself a Christian, you're to serve the older people in the church and you're to mentor the younger people in the church. Romans 12.10 Be devoted to each other like a loving family. Excel in showing respect for each other. 
Galatians 6.10, whenever we have the opportunity to help anybody, we should do it. We should give special attention to those who belong to the family of believers. Galatians 6.2, share each other's troubles and problems, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. We're to carry each other's burdens and problems. And there's only one way that you can do that. I'd ask for a drum roll, but we don't have a drummer. But here it comes. It's the small group sermon, okay? We're never going to stop saying this. You need to be in a small group. At Rockbrook, that's the number one way we're going to take care of you. If you're sick, if you've been laid off, if you have something going in your life, we take care of people at Rockbrook through our small groups. Small groups are our care and support system at this church. And I just want to let you know that, that small group signups are going to be starting in mid, mid-April. And if you've never been in a small group, jump into a small group. Start one on your own. But small groups are the place to learn to love other believers like my family. You need to be in a small group. Number three, if I'm going to learn to love like Jesus, I must learn to see others' pain even when I'm in pain. Now that's a hard one. Do you guys see what I mean by, I wrestled with this stuff because I got to tell you that when I'm in pain, when I'm injured, the last thing I'm thinking about is anyone else. I'm a big baby when I'm not feeling well. You know, I want to be taken care of. I just want my wife Jen to wait on me hand and foot. I just want to lay my head in her lap and have her rub my back and just tell me everything's going to be okay, that this is all going away. I'm a baby. And most of us, when we're in pain, we're selfish. But what does Jesus do when he's in pain? He notices the pain of other people. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He says to the guy next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And he takes care of his mom and his close friend. He's not thinking of himself when he's in pain. He's looking around and he notices the pain of everybody else. 1 Peter 4.1 Since Christ suffered and underwent pain, you must have the same attitude he did. You must be ready to suffer too. For remember, when your body suffers, sin loses its power. What does it mean to have the same attitude of Jesus Christ? It means that when I'm in pain, I'm still looking around me to see who's in greater pain than I'm in. But did you hear what also happens when we do that? It says that sin loses its power. Why does sin lose its power when we have the same attitude as Jesus Christ? It's because we're acting like Jesus Christ. We are loving God by loving others when we're in pain. That's where the power comes from. You've heard Pastor Kelly say this, the way that you get healed from your pain is by helping others. And to love like Jesus, I must learn to see others' pain even when I'm in pain. And then the last one, number four, write this down. To learn to love like Jesus, I must meet others' needs despite my title or my position. That means at work, at home, at church, no matter where I'm at. All the way to the very end, Jesus, who is God. He's the creator of the universe. He is the king of a kingdom. This whole entire time, he's thinking about other people, despite his title, his position, or his circumstances. You know, follow me on this. Jesus is doing the most important work in the entire world. He is dying for all of humanity. Nobody is as important in title or position. Nobody has uh, 
the, any worse circumstance than Jesus is going through right now. He doesn't say, I'm not going to take care of you right now, Mom and John. My purpose is too important. I don't have time to think about you right now. You know, how many families and relationships fall apart because somebody's needs aren't being met? You know, I'm the husband, I deserve. I'm the wife, I deserve. I'm the boss, I deserve. I'm the superintendent, I'm the foreman, I deserve. My needs need to be met. You need to be serving me. I'm more important than you are. My circumstance is worse than yours. You need to be taking care of me. But God's values are the opposite of the world's values. The world's values say the more important you are, the less you are expected to serve other people. In fact, people are supposed to be serving me. But that's not what God says. It doesn't matter if you're the firstborn or the youngest, rich or poor, the CEO or the janitor, been a believer your whole life or a brand new believer today. Jesus said if you want to be first, then you must become a slave. If you want to live a godly life, you must lose your worldly life. If you want to be great, you must be the servant of all. Greatness is determined by what kind of servant you are on earth. And when Jesus lived on this earth, earth, he lived a poor life. He didn't, when, he didn't leave Mary a bunch of money to take care of her. Did you know that the crucifixion was an execution reserved for non-Roman citizens and slaves? Jesus died an outcast and a slave. But yet he still had something to give. He gave love to all humanity. What does it mean to love like Jesus? Romans 15, 2 and 3. Each one of us needs to look after the goods of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? So as we close, I want to give you something practical that you can do to practice learning to love like Jesus in these four areas that we just talked about. At Rockbrook, we teach our leaders to minister to other people by remembering ESPN. Now, when I say ESPN, what do you think about? Yeah, I think about sports. And sports is all about action. It's about doing. It's activity. You know, I can talk about baseball and football all day long, but if I'm just talking about it, I'm not playing the sport. You know, I, I, can, I can talk about love all day long, but if I'm not serving, I'm not loving. So let's look at this. ESPN, write this down. The E for ESPN stands for encourage and support. One of the best things you can do to encourage and support someone starts with just simply paying attention. Look, in our day and age, with, with all the distractions, just the simple act of noticing that somebody is in need can go a long way to showing somebody that they're loved. Pay attention by listening to what they're saying. Pay attention to their body language. Body language can tell you a lot about somebody, whether they're happy, they're sad, or they're worried. Pay attention to them. Make eye contact with them. Put your phone down. Don't think about your agenda. Don't think about what you're going to say next as they're speaking. Listen to what they're saying. Give them your time. The most valuable thing that you can give anybody in this life is your time because you can never get your time back. So what can you do with your time together? Well, let's look. The S in ESPN stands for share scripture. God's word is our life support. His word offers help, healing, and hope. And look, I get it. 
You know, maybe you don't read your, your Bible a lot, and I want to encourage you to do that. You should be doing that because it's going to offer you help, healing, and hope. And you want to be able to share Scripture. But look, if you can't, Google it. Okay, what does the Bible say about anger? What does the Bible say about worry? What does the Bible say about parenting? And share those scriptures with somebody. Next, the P equals prayer. You know, I can't think of anyone that I've offered to pray for that is hurting, has sorrow, or big problems that said, no thank you to prayer. And here's something that I really want to encourage you to work on. This is something that I'm trying to work on in my own life. No matter where you are, whether it's in the weekend service or at your small group or in the grocery store or at a restaurant, you know, pray with that person in the moment. Don't say, hey, I'll pray about that or I'll pray about that later. Pray with them in the moment. That shows that you've been listening. You're being attentive. You're giving them your time. And then the N in the ESPN stands for next step. Try and look for and try and look for and offer a practical next step to help somebody get healthy. Maybe your next step is to take them out for coffee or invite them over for dinner so that you can figure out what is their next step. And then you follow up with them or perhaps you take that next step with them. You know, I have found that most people already know what they need to do. What they're really looking for is someone to take that next step with them, just to walk shoulder to shoulder with them. The most important thing in life is learning to love like Jesus. Jesus told us to love God and to love other people. And it all starts at home with our family. And then we need to learn to love our church family like our own family. And then we need to see others' pain even though I'm in pain. And then we need to meet others' needs despite my title, my position, or my own circumstances. Let's look at this, Luke 9.23. Then he, talking about Jesus, Jesus is saying this, and he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. In John 15.19-14, Jesus said this, I have loved you, even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will, will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, maybe you're struggling with this as I did. But as I was talking with a good friend with mine, he reminded me that the great commandment starts with loving God. Jesus said the first is to love God. The second is like it, to love others. The only way that I can love others like Jesus Christ is to love God. I have to develop a healthy, deep relationship with God so that I can be able to love others the way Jesus did. Let's pray. Lord, help us to love our family members. Help us to love our church family like our own family. 
Help us to love even when we are in pain. Help us to overcome the temptation of letting our title, our position, our circumstances getting in the way of loving others. Open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear the voices of the people in our life that need our love. Father, forgive us of letting our busyness, distractions, our fleshly desires, our selfishness of getting in the way of loving others. Father, fill us with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We ask that He would guide us to live as godly men and godly women, to be servants to all. We praise You for loving us first. Thank You for sending Your Son, Jesus, to die for our sins so that we could receive Your love for all eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.